Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, dreaming is something we all do. Some we remember, others we'd sooner forget. But why do our imaginations run riot at night? What's going on in our brain? I'm going to be joined by neuroscientist Sabina Brennan to find out more about our REM sleep. A new podcast series has been recently launched for people living with and affected by migraine in Ireland. I'm going to be meeting its host, Debbie Hutchinson, to find out more. And June Curtin lost her husband to suicide in 2013. And looking after her children, who were five and nine when their father died, became her focus. But understandably, it was a difficult time and June found it hard to live with the stress and the grief. She tried walking, she tried the gym, but it was sitting with a cuppa looking out at the sea at Spanish Point that led her to embrace sea swimming. And over the years, she's built a community called Snovi Sosta. I have witnessed the joy for myself and um, the beach in County Clare. And in recent weeks, June was in Ballybunion, she was in Salt Hill and on Friday, I joined her and a group in Port Marnock in Dublin and you will hear how we got on. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I took it easy on myself this week. Walks and yoga were the order of the week. I went to see a comedy gig. I have definitely been finding the spinning plates are moving quickly again between kids schedules and work. So gentle indeed was the order of the week, as I say. And I haven't really spoken about grief in a while. I did speak about my dad when he was unwell and when he died, but not so much since. And we do that, don't we? I mean, time moves on, life moves on. But if anything, I think as we approach his first anniversary will be in November. I think we're only really defrosting from the shock of not having him around anymore. And I think you make peace with an illness, you make peace with the release from that illness that the the person has. And nowadays, I just miss him. I just pull into my mum and dad's house and I just love a hug and a chat and a lecture and a bit of advice. Um, And we are in the final stages of selling our house and we're going to move in with my mum for a time uh, while our next move materialises. And that's something I find I've become a lot easier with as I've gotten a bit older just waiting to see what happens approach. So while I wait in the cosiness of my family home, I will not outstay my welcome, I promise. My mum listens every week. Um, My new family, look, need our space as much as my mum needs her. But to facilitate us moving in, we had to go through all my dad's clothes. And it's just another project that you can't really believe you're doing, but you just do. And I had my gorgeous friend, Suzanne McLean, on the show a while back to talk about the charity she set up, Rosabelle's Rooms, in memory of her daughter who died suddenly at 16 months, which, of course, is harder to wrap your head around than the death of a well-loved, well-lived man of 83. But she always says something that really sticks with me, that joy can exist alongside the most immeasurable grief. And it's true. Sometimes you can be happy and sad at the same time, and it's just all part of the experience. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. 
Which leads me beautifully into the story behind Snobby Sosta. I know I told you about my couple of trips to County Clare over the summer. We stayed at Spanish Point in the cottages beside the Armada Hotel back in August. And I used to sit with my coffee every morning at 9.15 and watch the group of swimmers get in. My husband did join in every morning. There is no booking or anything. You just rock up and are made to feel welcome and into the sea you go. And... At the weekend, it goes up a notch. Obviously, there's more people and word has spread and people come from all over the country. I mean, pre-COVID, there were hundreds of people gathering with saucy sambos and music. But the vibe of Snobby Sosta is always the same. There's no competitive swimming. It's just a dip for the soul and kindred spirits meeting for a bit of joy. It was set up by June Curtin following the death of her husband, John, to suicide when the sea seemed to be the self-care which brought her back to herself. She recently brought Snobby Sosta around the country with meets in Ballybunion in Salt Hill. And on Friday evening, she was in Port Marnock in Dublin, where I met her and the fellow swimmers to soak up the Snobby Sosta vibes. Twin sisters. <laughs> ah, amazing. So tell us what brought you down here. I've been following Jean for like the last two years, nice, maybe. Yeah. Or yeah, and I just think she's absolutely amazing. So we felt like it was meeting the Pope queuing up to see her. I just think she's really inspirational. So um, my cousin is down here. She had um, breast cancer, and she's been dipping in the sea. So she came over from the south side, and my mom is down here. So we just we were dying to see her. And your twin sister? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, we just love sea swimming. We're local to the area, so it was great that she came all the way up up here. So it's great to have her so close. And we have a plus one also. Absolutely, yeah. And the other one, I had my other baby. She's only a year old, and uh, I had her dipping when she was in my tummy for the whole of COVID. So this one has to have a a dip too. How you got on today and what brought you here? How did you hear about today? So we followed Snobby's also June on um, Instagram for quite a while now, but she's amazing. She's yes, just absolutely. such a ball of positivity. And are you guys friends, family? We're family. family. Yeah, cousin, auntie, my mom, my sister up there, my other cousin and my well, two cousins and her aunt are over there. So it's funny, oh, is it's a lot of women. I can see the men are yeah. a bit scared. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we're braver than men. <laughs> Why do you think it appeals to women more? I just think we're tougher beings, aren't we? No? Is that not the reason? Well, somebody said to me in there, it's like menopause soup. Yeah. <laughs> so, Leah, you're down here for the swim. It means quite a lot to you. You met June down in Clare during the summer. Was that your first time meeting her? Yeah, it was. I met her down in Spanish Point last month. So, uh, myself and my pal, Mandy, went down and... Uh, for me, it was a real uh, spiritual quest, to say the least. My um, father drowned on Spanish Point in 1990, and it was my first time going back in 31 years. So I'd connected in with June during last year, because I only started to see swimming last March, just to overcome my fear. And with lockdown and everything, was to change my environment, and more for my own mental health. So um, I started going to Port Marnock every morning for sunrise. I was doing sunrise swims and then it was kind of my mission to get back down to Spanish Point at some point for like, I suppose, a cathartic kind of a journey and putting a kind of a a close on something that I really needed to kind of close, if that makes sense. I've never got over the trauma, but it was just for me just to go back and and experience that beach again, you know, in a different Because you were 10 when it happened and jumping in to save you unfortunately your dad died yeah so we were on a family holiday and it was around uh, italia 90 and we were on a a day out with the family on the beach and myself and uh, 
my my sister and a couple of uh, my cousin and my cousin's friend we all kind of got into difficulty and uh, unfortunately um, my father came in to, to to save a few of us and he passed away so he effectively died in my arms so it was a big it was a big thing that happened so a lot of the people down in Spanish Point and in Milltown Malbay where I stayed remembered the accident so I might know I'd know um, expectation about what was going to happen when I went down there it was just everything unfolded that people remembered the accident and um, it was actually just a really healing experience going down and connecting in with June and the group down there was it was incredibly healing and June is obviously a real inspiration because she's had such tragic events in her own life and yet the sea has become a joyful place for her and a community for people to come together so that must have been a comfort yeah, absolutely. And because I'd kind of linked in with June as well, I felt at least I've established a swim group to link in with because I have such a lovely swim group here at the Port Marnock Sink or Swim. Um, it was such a lovely community. So I felt like you can kind of go anywhere where there's another sim swimming community and you're just welcomed with open arms. And that's exactly what happened down in Spanish Point. And it was, I really felt so held by the experience by June and everybody down there. It was really, really gorgeous, you know, out of such tragedy for me personally to... Um, to kind of leave with such on a positive note, I suppose. And what does sea swimming mean to you? Well, I suppose it was just a big fear for me, Claire, like getting into the water. And now um, the water kind of calls me. It's crazy, you know. Uh, it just clears my head and balances me. And I'm not doing Olympian swims around. It's more like dips in and out. But I think that sense of community as well, I think because of lockdown and everything, it was I need connection, you know. So to make connections and to... To be, um, to be held by the experience of getting into the water in a safe environment, you know. It's meant everything to me, really. It's changed my whole perspective on things, you know. So the Dublin Dippers are here. What brought you here tonight? We came down to see June. She came from Spanish Point and we just wanted to see her. We gave her a Dublin Dippers hat and we got a lovely photo with her. And, like, who are the Dublin Dippers? Um, just a group of women. Uh, from Dublin who are into sea swimming and meet up uh, for various swims all year round. So June, you've been on your travels with Snobby Sauce. I've seen you in Ballybunion, in Salt Hill. Now here you are in Dublin. And what, we're thinking there was a couple of thousand people here. Oh, it was just overwhelming the turnout this evening considering the forecast was for a hundred percent rain I really didn't think that you know there would be that many people here but yeah there was easily a couple of thousand people here and so many smiling happy faces singing in the water dancing on the sand it was just it was overwhelming now there is a lot of pressure on you you are at the center of attention from the word go you sing a song in the water it's a it's a lot you do it so well oh god thank you so much um yeah it's it's just uh, it's overwhelming i'm i'm lost for words tonight because this out of all the swims i've done and i'm starting to make my way slowly around ireland um and even my own snobby sauce community in spanish point we had the happy pair recently and we had about 1300 people on the beach Tonight, Port Marnock has topped everything. There was easily 2,000 plus here, and that is just phenomenal. And I have said in my introduction today on the radio that it came from the sad loss of your husband, and you looked out to the sea in Spanish Point, and something said, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to, as part of my healing, I'm going to get in there. 
Yeah, I was drawn to the sea, I suppose. I was brought up in Spanish Point all my life at the Armada Hotel. is my family's business. And um, I suppose as a child growing up, we never got to the sea. And um, I was looking out at the ocean one day and I was suffering so badly at this stage from stress and anxiety. As you know, I had lost my husband to suicide and I had two small children and I spent so much time looking after them. I had kind of neglected myself, I suppose. And um, I found the sea and I just looked out one day and I said to my mom, maybe I'll go for a swim. The only problem was I can't swim. So I decided I'd make my way down the following morning at nine o'clock and I just felt incredible. You're in the water and you can only think of, I suppose, the waves coming at you. And I felt like I left my troubles on the shoreline and every day I get into the water, no matter how I'm feeling, I always come out feeling better. I always say to people, you know, if you're feeling low, you'll definitely feel better when you come out. And if you're feeling great, you'll feel even better again. And I stayed in the Armada Cottages over the summer and every morning with my coffee cup, I used to watch and without fail, there's a group there. It's a real community spirit. I did go down the last morning, but I did enjoy watching with my coffee cup on my holidays. But there is a real sense of community and togetherness. Yeah, there's a huge sense of community and even while I'm away swimming at different beaches, it goes on without me in Spanish Point. There's always a community there, a group of people uh, every morning there to meet anybody that turns up. I had a lovely man who drove the other morning. He got into his car at high, half five in the morning and he drove from Offaly. He had read about Snobby Sosta in the paper and he suffers a lot with pain. And he said the only time that he is pain free is when he is in the water. So he came, he left at half five in the morning to join us and he absolutely loved it. So you're heading back to your hotel. How are you feeling after tonight? There's been music, there's been dancing. It must be nice to see the, gr the crowds allowed again because COVID kind of stopped Snobby Sosta in its tracks. It did really and it's great to see so many people out enjoying the simple things in life like a sea swim, a bit of country music, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee on the beach. I think so many people are struggling right now, you know, there's uh, for all kinds of reasons, there's lots of people in lots of pain. I know this because I have an Instagram page at Snobby Sosta and people reach out to me every day without fail. and people are really struggling so it's nice that they can come to something like this and just have a little bit of fun. Well thank you June for starting something so special and so joyous from something that was really tough and teaching people that you can you can do that you know and, and spreading that around. Well uh, yeah it, and it is still tough you know you I suppose you have to keep going one foot in front of the other one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time and sometimes one minute at a time. Even now I'm eight years down the road and I still have very difficult days. I have two teenagers at home and we have lots of unanswered questions and it's not easy, but we keep going and I have to keep going for them too. Well, you're not on your own. There are so many people who know you and love you and even strangers who are behind you. Everybody who came out of the sea said, June is an inspiration. We came for June and you've touched the hearts of the nation. So thank you very much and thanks for talking to me. Oh, Claire, thank you. And thank you for being here too. Thank you so much. Tony, give me a minute here. You're the only, well, very few men here tonight, but you're very much a part of Snobby Sosta. 
I suppose you can say I'm part of it. I'm one of the tribe that always um, helps out whatever is needed. We well, try and do it to make things run smoothly. When I was down in Spanish Point, not only did you bring me my dinner in the bar in the Armada Hotel, but then you were welcoming us into the sea every morning. You're down there every morning yourself. I am. It's, it, it is a community. It's a small community that is um, growing. So it is very welcoming to all strangers and locals. And what does getting into the sea mean to you? Everything at the moment. I just wish I did it 30 years ago. It just sets up the whole day, the whole week, and you just feel good about yourself and people around you, and nothing's a problem. I know, what were we doing looking at the bloody thing for so long? Why weren't we getting in? Because we were too busy stuck in our own little worlds. And now we're spreading the world around. And thank you for bringing it to Dublin. You also were the DJ tonight. How did the dubs dance, did you think? Uh, out of ten, we'll give them ten. We'll give them ten. <laughs> Coming up after the break, the podcast for people living with migraine in Ireland. Alive and kicking on News Talk. 12 to 15% of Irish people suffer with migraine, and in a recent survey, 53% said that it left them feeling exhausted, and 30% said it left them feeling depressed. A new podcast series has been launched to tackle the issues involved to inform and educate people about what they can do to ease the symptoms. Debbie Hutchinson is a migraine sufferer and she's the former communications officer for the Migraine Association of Ireland and now presenter of said podcast series. And she joins me in studio now. Hello, Debbie. How are you? Hi, Claire. How are you? Good to be here. So it's like a chicken and egg question. What came first, the migraine or the job? (laughs) Well, the migraine came first. Um, I'd say I had my first migraine when I had my first son. So I've I've three boys, um, and that son is now eighteen. So, <laughs> but um, so you had never had a migraine. No, before. I'd never had a migraine, and my eldest sister would have had migraines. And I always say I was an awful little sister because I had no, um, you know, sympathy for her whatsoever. Um, and I was one of those people who thought, oh God, you know, it can't be that bad. And then after the birth of my first child, I think everything about having a child is migraine unfriendly. So you've got stress, you've got disrupted sleep, and you've also got the hormonal avalanche of having a child. And I think it was when I gave up breastfeeding that I just started getting these migraines. And they were terrifying because I have hemiplegic migraine, which manifests as a stroke. So I remember at the time, my husband was, I was living in Clontarf and my husband was in Sandyford, which is quite a trek. And I was ringing him because I couldn't see, like my eyesight was going and I'd never had um, an attack before. And like my eldest was only tiny, he was only a little baby, but I couldn't physically see him to pick him out of the pram. And by the time that my, now luckily my sister got there before me and she kind of recognised it and she said, I think it's a migraine, but... Obviously, when you get something like that for the first time, I went to hospital. Um, So I did end up in casualty. And it was just that I was there for hours and they knew that it wasn't a stroke. But then it was eventually there was a um, a doctor from the UK said, I know what this is. And he gave me a medication and then it lifted and I was allowed to go home. And what's going on in your head that makes this happen? So, I mean, migraine is a neurological disorder. People always just think that migraine is a headache. So the headache is just a symptom. And the other symptoms that people can have, what I get is a visual disturbance. Um, 
Some people, which I often get, is when I'm looking at people, their faces are like black dots. That's how it often starts. Or there can often be something, a flicker in the side of my eye. And myself and most migraine sufferers after years will go, okay, I need to sit down or I need to take some medication or I need to lie down, have a, you know, have a rest. It's not always possible. As you know, if you have children or you're working in a busy job, it's just not often possible. And actually, they're often the situations where you get a migraine, like if you have a presentation or a stressful situation. Um, and I've driven to collect the kids from school, like basically, you know, half blind in some way because I'm in the middle of the, uh, what, what that's called is aura, which is that visual disturbance. Another version I get of that is that everybody's face goes black, but the rest of the room goes into like this kind of hyper focus. Um, and I did at one stage, I, I think the thing is, if it really changes, you should go to your doctor. I think most people who get that visual disturbance know what it is after a number of years. But they do say if it changes significantly, you could, should go to your doctor. The other thing is people can have is needing to go to the toilet a lot more. Um, you can get upset in your stomach. Most people will get that. I also get pins and needles down one side of my body and I find it difficult to talk as well, which is oftentimes why that's mistaken as a stroke. So the headache is one part of it. And to demonstrate that, as I've gotten older, I don't get the headache. I only get the aura. Well, I, I don't say only, but I get the aura. But there's I, no pain. There's just visual distortion. Yeah, which and I think that that's really important to demonstrate that it's a neurological condition, that, you know, the headache is just one part of it. And I think that's the thing of people with migraine. You know, people that have headaches and say, I have a terrible migraine. And you're kind of going, if you had a terrible migraine, you would have your head down the toilet vomiting. You wouldn't be able to see and you wouldn't be able to walk, you know. I mean, sometimes when I had it that bad, I had to kind of crawl up the stairs to get to bed because I couldn't see and I couldn't lift my head. Wow. Well, you're listening to Alive and Kicking on News Talk and I'm talking to Debbie Hutchinson about migraines. So this is hugely debilitating. Once you get a diagnosis of, of migraine, is it something you can manage better? Like you said, you know, the warning signs. But yeah. is there anything you can do to manage it? Well, I think one of the things about diagnosis is it's actually very hard to get a diagnosis of migraine and to get a treatment. Um, a lot of the surveys out there and the research that I would know from my time in Migraine Ireland, and this is across the board, it's not a criticism of Ireland, is that on average it takes a migraine sufferer eight years to get a proper diagnosis and proper treatment. Um, there is... A lack of understanding in terms of, you know, that specialist knowledge about migraine. Um, there are some very good doctors in Ireland and uh, Migraine Ireland can really help you with that. They can direct you towards those experts. But for me, I suppose every migraine is very uh, personal and very specific to you. And the best way that I think is to kind of learn to understand your migraine. So the next episode of the podcast that is coming out is called, is, it deals with triggers. So what are your triggers for migraine? Um, you may not get the definitive answer to that, but um, if you keep things like a migraine diary so that you can assess, you know, when are these migraines happening and is there a pattern? And not even that you, you can assess it, but to hand that to your GP, you know, it gives them something to work with because otherwise they're kind of going in blind. It could be anything. It could be related to stress. It could be food related or it could be related to hormonal changes. For instance, for me myself, mine is uh, related to my menstrual cycle, which I didn't realize until I actually, you know, took a diary and I said, oh, God, this happens, you know, 
specifically 10 months before every month. So, um, or I 10 think, days. Yeah, yeah, for 10. And so how that made a difference to me is that for those 10 days, I try, it's not always possible, but I try not to book in family holidays. I try not to, you know, book in major events for those 10 days every month. Um, I would tend to avoid alcohol. Um, and I would be very mindful. Um, one of the things about migraine is that long periods between eating is not great for people with that kind of migraine brain. Um, it's funny, actually, because my sister gets it and my nieces get it. So we have <laughs> we in our handbags, we always have like snacks and migraine medication as well. So which is great because oftentimes if you're suffering on your own, people are kind of going, oh, God, you know, she's still going on about this. It can't be that bad. It's just a headache. But it's great to have your little tribe as well there. So. And you know what? I think that's really good advice for any health issue or condition that you have, because we do tend when we're in it, we're in it. And then we feel better and then we forget about it. Yeah. And that's why you put off going to the doctor, you put off. And when you get there, you can't really remember the symptoms or what you were doing that day. I mean, you know yourself, somebody says, what did you do at the weekend on a Monday? Yeah. And you're struggling to think about what you did on Friday. Yeah. That's how the, the brain works. So if you keep a diary and write things down, this is what I was doing. This is the symptom I felt. This is what was going on. And jot it down and bring that to the doctor with anything. I think it's a brilliant health piece yeah. of advice. And you can get those diaries from Migraine Ireland and they're free as well. And I suppose that they're good ones because the, the doctors are used to seeing them come into the clinics. But there are apps as well, especially for younger people, because let's not forget, you know, teenagers get migraines as well. Um, my two teenage sons now get migraines, unfortunately. Um, so they would prefer to use the apps and stuff like that. You know, they wouldn't necessarily like to, you know, they think it's archaic to write something down on paper. <laughs> so you know so much about migraine through your own understanding yeah. and obviously the family members you've spoken about there. Tell me about the podcast coming about. Yeah, so the podcast is a six-part podcast series. Um, it deals with issues from migraine and exercise. So looking at the fact that exercise is good for migraine but it can also trigger migraines in people. Sometimes people go to the gym and it can trigger a migraine attack. So there's lots of good advice on that, on how to pace yourself with exercise. Um, there's also looking at the hormonal influences of migraine, migraine and mental health as well. And I think some of the the guests in it, like Anna Daly from, you know, um, Ireland AM, and then Tony Cascarino, the, you know, uh, Republic of Ireland footballer, like they're high profile people with, you know, careers and you would kind of look at them and think, oh, God, you know, they're not dealing with something like that. So I think that's nice for people to listen to that. And also particularly nice for somebody like Tony Cascarino, because he brought up the fact that he had to hide it because transfer season in a professional football environment, something like a migraine would be seen as affecting, you know, your fee, your transfer fee. So um. Each of the episodes focuses on a different area. As I said, Monday's episode um, that you can access on migraine.ie is actually focusing on triggers and trying to identify your triggers. And I suppose I would say about triggers is there's not one trigger. You know, there's not going to be one cure. Um, I think the experts in migraine now talk about a migraine threshold whereby if you have a busy day, um, you don't eat properly, um, you don't drink properly. So most people would go home and that would be fine. They might have a glass of wine when they get through the door and they'll eat something and they'll go to bed. But for the person with the migraine brain, that's not great. And oftentimes they might go home, they'll eat a bit of chocolate or they'll drink wine and they'll say, oh, that's what gave me migraine. 
But the thinking now is actually that it's a threshold that's building up throughout the day. So if you've had that busy day, maybe don't have the glass of wine. It might tip you over. Make sure you're eating regularly and drinking as well. Um, so the, the idea with the podcast is, I, I think, you know, in terms of each episode every week is great. But I also think it's great that Migraine Ireland will have the podcast series there. So I worked for a number of years on their support line. So they have a support line where you can ring up and ask for advice. And I think um, it's really useful for them because they can have this like package of podcasts that say, you know, go off and listen to this episode or, you know, visit our website. And there's some great advice there. And all of the kind of experts in Ireland and migraine, the health professional experts have taken part in the podcast. And particularly if you're living in Sligo or Leitrim, I know from working on the support line, you know, it's it's very unlikely you're going to have a migraine expert in your area. And most people have to travel up to Dublin to, you know, to, to, to attend a migraine expert. So that kind of information is there in the podcast series. But when I worked in Migraine Ireland, I actually always wanted to make a podcast series. <laughs> I thought it would be a great idea for people. Um, but unfortunately, patient charities, we just don't have, you know, the money and the resources oftentimes. So it is good that Teva came in and actually uh, supported it through the funding. So, And I mean, you are very well versed on migraine um, as someone who's lived it and worked with migraine, yeah. migraine Ireland. Did you learn things from the podcast too? Yeah, I did. I mean, one of the main things that's coming out and it has a great reaction from people from the migraine community, which is obviously the most important, is that people feel heard, like they actually feel that oh, this is happening to other people. It's not just happening to me. And, you know, there is a bit of a stigma around migraine that people are exaggerating. And the fact that they can actually sit down and listen, and that's what I found is when I was talking to the guests, we had so much in common in terms of how we tried to hide our condition, some of the actual uh, symptoms that we experienced, like the, uh, the brain fog around migraine is probably something that goes under the radar. So I find the day before I get a migraine, like I would be looking at some, I'd be looking at that computer there and I'd be saying to my husband, um, switch the, and I can't get the word, even though I know what it is. Mm. It's like a short circuit in your brain or something. And then the very next day or later that day, I'll get a migraine. And even my husband will say to me, you're going to get a migraine <laughs> later. Um, and this was across the board, all the migraine sufferers that I spoke to, um, they all suffered from this as well. They said, oh, yeah, absolutely. And the next day, the only way if you get a bad migraine attack, the only way to describe the next day is a hangover. It just feels like a hangover. You feel completely wiped. Um, your head feels as if it's just, you know, oh, just completely numb. And you just feel slightly sick in your stomach. So if you think about that, if you're getting a migraine, a couple of migraines a month, then you've also got the two days either side of that that you're kind of out of action as well. So, And every time you get a migraine, is it completely down tools, go to a darkened room or do you just have to keep going through it? It depends, really. Like it, it really does depend. Um, mine, thankfully, as I've got older, have kind of dissipated and I don't really get them as often um, as I did. Now, I would put that down to, uh, you know, just the fact that, um, you know, I have made changes to my lifestyle in, in terms of fitness and diet. That's one part of it. Um, but I, I just think it's a progression thing with age that they maybe have just settled down. They'll probably come back with a bang in a few <laughs> years. Don't jinx yourself. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's a great podcast 
series. It's it's great for people to find information if you are a sufferer. But as we say, I think other people should have a listen to get a greater it's a great understanding. Idea, actually, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Is that because oftentimes on that support line in Migraine Ireland, it would be the husband or the wife or the mother that would be ringing the line saying, you know, they're in bed, they're in a bad way. They can also have chronic migraine which I had for a period of time, but I thankfully only got once for a couple of years. And chronic migraine is like 15 or more migraine attacks per month. So people have had to leave college. People have had to leave their job because and oftentimes it can be difficult to deal with that from a medical point of view as well. Wow. Well, there's more to it than there is. I thought. And if you want to find out more, it's a fantastic resource. The podcast is available at migraine.ie forward slash beyond migraine podcast or just search for beyond migraine podcast wherever you get yours. Debbie Hutchinson, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Coming up after the break, what's going on in our brain when we dream? Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. Now, you're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. And we're going to look at dreams with thanks to Harvey Norman, proudly supporting Sleep Timber here on News Talk for a better night's sleep. For your chance to win a €1,000 Harvey Norman voucher for their bedding department, you can head to newstalk.com forward slash sleep. And now this has come about at quite an opportune time for me because my seven-year-old daughter has become a bit obsessed with her dreams, why she's dreaming, why some of them are bad. And I've muddled together a few answers for her, but it's much better that I have an expert here in the studio now. And you're so that's the only re- reason you want me <laughs> to, help, to help out with your parenting. To help my parenting. Uh, we have neuroscientist, psychologist and author Sabina Brennan. But it's not just... My daughter, is it, Sabina? We're all a bit fascinated with our dreams. We are. You know, I think for centuries, uh, people have tried to figure out what dreams mean. And, you know, sometimes they've been considered divine divine messages or I won't even go where Freud goes with with dreams or messages that they're unfulfilled about unfulfilled desires. But the thing is, modern technology, MRI scanners, that sort of thing that allow us actually look inside the brain when people are dreaming, actually tell us that dreams originate in the brain. And they're very normal. And um, of course, now we, there's theories around why we might dream um, but um, we actually know about the activity in your brain uh, that occurs and I think that's kind of interesting in and of itself so when you go to sleep at night your brain doesn't rest it has a job of work to do you know um, stuff that it has to do that it can't do while it's being you while you're awake so like one of those things sleep is that's one of the reasons sleep is critical you know I'm, I'm mad passionate about getting people to really um, uh, you know prioritize, prioritize their yeah. sleep um, so one thing it has to do actually is clean out all the toxins that have built up during the day metabolic waste etc because you can't clean that the brain can't clean that while it's being you and doing all those things. But another thing that happens um, is when you go to sleep at night, um, you have about five cycles of sleep. Each of those are 90 minutes long. And they have a combination of non-REM sleep and REM sleep. So REM sleep stands for uh, uh, rapid eye movement. Okay, and that's the dream sleep. But in each of those cycles... 
the proportion of dream sleep and non-dream sleep changes dramatically across the night. So at the start of the night, you have mainly non-dreaming sleep. And then by the end of the night, early morning, you've mainly in that 90 minutes dream sleep. So that's why you often wake up and you can remember your dreams very clearly. So the non-dream sleep at the beginning of the night, all the information that you've taken in during the day is processed in your brain. It's filtered for information that, you know, you don't need to keep. And then we see activity similar to when we're relaxed during the day, uh, a little bit a little bit less than that during this uh, non-dream sleep, okay? But it's very synchronistic, you know, it's very patterned. And what that is, is laying down the new memories of the information you've taken in during the day across the various parts of your brain. Then when you're in REM sleep, the activity is completely different. It is as active as you are uh during the day and uh, what's really interesting is there's four areas of your brain that are particularly active during dream sleep so there's the visual cortex which is at the back of your brain your occipital lobes uh, and that's so you can see things in your dreams there's the motor cortex so that's so you can move in your dreams now an interesting thing happens of course is there's a release of two uh, two brain chemicals to prevent you actually moving so your muscles are actually paralyzed but the part of the brain responsible for movement is really, really active. So you can move around in your dreams. And then um, deep in the part of your brain, there's a part of your brain called the hippocampus, and that's involved in memory, uh, episodic memory, you know, memory for autobiography, memory for things from your life. And then the amygdala you might heard, have heard of, that's involved in fight or flight and emotions. Okay, so they're all really active. But then the frontal part of your brain, your frontal lobes, where all your rational thinking and decision making and that sort of thing occurs, that's actually shut off. Okay, so you can have these free wild dreams without rational stuff coming in. And so basically there's sort of two things in a way you dream to remember and you dream to forget. So the remembering bit, what happens is that new information that you've taken in during the day that in the non-dream sleep is sort of being bedded down in your brain, that is then during dream sleep integrated with all your previous experiences and knowledge. So that's why sometimes you can have a dream about something you did today mixed in with something from when you were six or, you know, from a relative that you haven't seen in years. It's, it's integrating all that information because it's looking for the brain loves patterns. It's trying to figure out rules. It's trying to figure out how the world works so you can operate in it when you're awake. So that's what it's doing. It's taking some new information and pat- matching it up with something else that happened in your past. And that's fabulous as well because what happens then is that's kind of where insight and creativity and problem solving happens. So... If, did you ever kind of go to sleep? You wrestling with a problem, and if you just leave it be, sleep on it. Go sleep on it. That's what I love about neuroscience is it just supports some of these old adages. You wake up in the morning and you've solved the problem. Your brain has solved the problem. It has access to your unconscious brain whereas you've really only access to your conscious memories and you're trying to solve the problem with a limited amount of data but if you sleep on it and give the brain your problem it has access to all the information and you said the was it the amygdala you said is switched off so you're not rationalizing no so the frontal lobes is switched off yeah so you're not rationalizing so it's like allowing you to think outside the box to be completely um you know limitless in your thinking and it really it's it's kind of amazing and i often say look we put too much 
we put too much store in our own sense of self, you know, that conscious self, that thing that we think we are, and not enough in that we have this amazing machine inside our head that, you know, can just do all this stuff, provide it, you feed it properly, you rest it, you let it sleep, you do all those things. So I often, I give corporate talks and I say, you know, look, if you're wrestling with a problem, no point in staying up till all hours trying to figure it out. Take a break, um, go for your exercise or whatever, get a good night's sleep and let your brain do the work while you're asleep. That is so fascinating because yeah. you're only using, when you're awake, you're only using a limited amount of your yeah, brain your to brain, sort through stuff. Yeah, your brain processes about billions of bits of data per second or whatever and you're only conscious of about 30 or 40 of those do you know what I mean there's just so much information that your brain has so that's one of the things that's happening in dreams you know where you're kind of the new information is just being mixed around and your brain is looking for patterns the other part the sort of dreaming to forget uh, and that's really in a way where the the rational part of the brain kind of kicking in um matters as well so that the the emotional part of your brain that is heightened during sleep. Um, what 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 we and when I say we, the royal theorists, really Matthew Walker is one of the biggest um, uh, sleep researchers, and he's written a fabulous book um, about sleep. Um, and basically, so his theory around um, the um, kind of emotional dreams, a lot of us had them over, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, people weren't sleeping. And when they were sleeping, they were having really stressful dreams. Um, and basically, the theory around that is that it allows us, dream sleep allows us to deal with very challenging emotional issues without the pain of it that we would experience when we're awake so for example I mean I remember myself when my father died he died suddenly I couldn't even look at a man with a flat cap and a mac on because it just reminded me of my dad and you know I'd well up and you're it was dreadful but I used to dream about him a lot and a lot of weird dreams and so um, this theory is that by dreaming we get to sort through very painful emotional things that we're dealing with but in a safe way and the theory is like that that dreaming and time is what allows you to eventually um think about loved ones who've passed away without that terrible emotion it gets you kind of over that hiccup emotions of emotions by allowing you explore it and there's interesting research done where um the researchers were looking at people with depression who had been um you know, experiencing challenging issues and they were kind of depressed as a consequence of it. But basically what they found was, the and they looked at their dreams, the individuals whose dreams, who dreamt about the issues that they were dealing with, um, compared to the individuals who didn't dream, the individuals who did dream were recovered. You know, they recovered from their depression. The ones who didn't dream were still depressed. So, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a way for your, your body and your brain to help work through issues that can be challenging. Well, you're listening to Live and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna and I'm talking to neuroscientist and psychologist Sabina Brennan about why we dream. And you're actually blowing my mind with all of this. Quite often, last thing at night, your, your issues are huge. They're, yeah. you know, they seem so big um, and you head off to sleep and you wake up and you're like, oh, I don't feel the same way about that at all. And I thought that was more down to the rest that your body had got. I never really thought that there's that my activity brain going on in your brain. Yeah, your brain is that. kind of sorting through it. But I do think it's important not to 
uh, this is something I, you know, piece of uh, sort of advice that I would give not to, if you're dealing and wrestling with issues, we tend to do that last thing at night, you know, in the evening because we've stopped for the day. It's probably the only part of the day where you've had a chance to pause for thought. Mm. And it's not a great idea to do that going into sleep because it's fine if you're someone who can actually sleep. But for a lot of people, thinking about those things can raise their cortisol levels and cortisol levels, raise cortisol levels will prevent you from getting into a sleep. So what I suggest to people is if you're wrestling with issues, actually make an appointment with yourself for a point in time during the day where you're going to deal with that particular issue. So I often say, you know, pick three o'clock on Tuesday afternoon and then if it comes into your head when you're going asleep, go, no, actually I'm dealing with that at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon <laughs> I have an appointment with myself I have an what appointment about with the myself brain dump like writing things yeah yeah down, absolutely but Get not it down. right before bed um, I think well I think you can I think you can do that and I think also you can writing positive things just before you go be- go to bed is kind of a good way you know trying to end the day on a, a kind of a positive note yeah the brain dump thing is really brilliant because you know for a lot of things say things you have to do or you kind of you know when you're overloaded or overwhelmed and you oh my god I have this and I have this and it's going around and around your head if you put that down on a piece of paper um, your brain knows that it's gone into your to-do list and I certainly do because I would be sort of prone to um, you know in the past stress and anxiety and I have an Excel file now that goes, goes back donkey's years and I don't care if anyone thinks I'm I'm anal but I am everything I have to do goes into that uh, to-do list and I put beside it the date by which it has to be done. I'm just impressed you know how to use Excel properly. I don't think anybody (laughs) really does. Well, it's been absolutely fascinating getting some sort of insight as to what is going on in our busy brain while we are catching some Zs. If you want to find out more about uh, the podcast that Sabina has and all the other work that she does, you can go to superbrain.com. Sabina Brennan, thank you so much for coming in. You're very welcome. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, John Fardy, and to Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week.